Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and the delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games. As told by the very people who organized them, I'm Christian Napier, and today I am joined by, I think, our most remote guest to date, all the way from Dubai, Derek Salisbury. Derek, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's a little evening hour here in Dubai, but a lovely balmy 99 degrees at 9 p.m. at night. So it's uh, summertime here in Dubai. (laughs) Wow. That is toasty and it's late. Let's see. It's 11 a.m. here in Salt Lake. So what time does that make it in Dubai? Uh, 9 p.m. 2100 for those in the transport world. (laughs) So about 10 hours ahead of Salt Lake and about 50 degrees Fahrenheit ahead of Salt Lake at the moment. Wow. What what takes you to Dubai? What are you doing there? Well, in Dubai, I just finished up consulting uh, on the Expo 2020 Dubai, kind of the next big World's Fair that uh, was to start taking place here in October. Uh, so just finished consulting on the transport side of it. And obviously, as uh, your other guests uh, from our fellow slockers that have been involved in the Tokyo Games, the Expo 2020 was postponed. Uh, effective today, actually, it was just announced to October of 2021 through April, uh, end of March 2022 now. So it's actually a 180-plus day event uh, over six months here in Dubai. So that just got uh, announced in terms of the delay. So, uh, But now, uh, no longer... With Expo 2020, and now I'm with uh, TPT Hub, uh, which is a event operations software that deals on the fleet management, logistics, and VAP management side of the events industry. So happy to be in rolling from one big event to the next big opportunity. All right, there's some there's a bit to unpack there. So let's take the first part. Dubai 2020 postponed for over a year then. Yes. To 2021. Yes, and the Expo 2020 is this massive eight billion dollar project that is actually once the event is done it's actually a development of a a smaller part of a huge development that dubai is um, producing for um, housing and retail and convention space and then this huge logistics uh, setup for air freight and cargo and a a huge duty-free zone that they've set up here so it's an impressive uh, deal with 190 countries participating uh, so it's uh, actually connecting the, the world together, but now delayed, obviously, because of all the pandemic stuff going on right now. Wow. Now, what does that mean for you? I mean, are you going to stay there in Dubai? Are you going to remain there? Or are you going to relocate elsewhere with your new work with the TPT Hub? Yeah, we're, we're still working on that right now. Obviously, we do have a contract with Expo 2020 of them utilizing our software. Uh, so obviously, we're going to be here. Uh, in the near term, obviously, and then obviously wherever once uh, we can actually fly places because every place uh, over here is kind of in lockdown as it is in most parts of the world. So we'll kind of take it day by day and see where the next steps take us with our uh, software. Wow. Well, I wish you well. I hope everyone stays safe there in Dubai. Hopefully things will abate soon. I don't know how, how it's going there. Here, they're starting to open things up. 
there's a bit of a debate as to whether it's a little bit too early to open things or not, but some things are starting to open up and we're starting to crawl out of hibernation. Yeah, we've been following it. Obviously, anything that happens in America is followed globally here. But the one thing I can say that we enjoy about UAE is that the, the government's very supportive of a lot of different things we have going on here. And on top of that, the grocery stores have ample supplies of toilet paper, meat products, and Clorox wipes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah we need to tap into some of that i don't know why but well, actually toilet paper has been pretty good lately but uh the sanitary wipes there's still a bit of a shortage on those so it's yeah. kind of hard to find the sanitary wipes okay well enough talk about toilet paper and wipe <laughs> let's go back in time shall we nuts i'd love to okay well the first question i ask most people is how in the world did you end up at salt lake 2002 you know what was your journey to salt lake and once you got there what was your role yeah so i started off at slock as a venue transportation manager at metals plaza in the sloss venue cluster and we we're managed by the awesome team of Jean marie morrissey and and sarah cooking Ellis. And, and how I got to that point of being with a part of an outstanding team, uh, I'll kind of give you the cliff notes version because it goes, if I can take you way back in time is when I was a 16 year old, I went to the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles as a 16 year old kid, um, with my best friend, uh, and stayed with my uncle, uncle Paul in, uh, in LA. And one of my lasting memories of all the events we went to is we went to the LA Coliseum. Now, mind you, there's the Russians boycotted the games and some of the communist blocks. So it was a very America-centric environment. And we were in row double T of the LA Coliseum on the four by 100 finals of the men's four by 100. And we got to watch way up in the back, uh, as high as the ABC tele, uh, TV cameras were. And we got to see Carl Lewis run the four by 100 meters uh, final leg in world record time, 100,000 people scream, chanting USA to USA in the Olympic cauldron in the back. And I remember turning to my friend Gary and saying, you know, someday I want to work on the Olympic Games. Now, after I got back from Los Angeles, Syracuse had one of the first sports commissions in the United States. My brother was involved and we volunteered for sporting events and did that through high school and, and college. And then while I was at University of Oswego State School of Business in upstate New York, I did my college internship at Walt Disney World in their college program. Started out as a captain of the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Submarine, uh, and then eventually led to me being involved in the Disney's marketing department on the opening of Disney MGM Studios, now called the Hollywood Studios. So that gave me the big event, corporate event experience and again, just created more desire to be in that line of work. Graduated, moved down to Orlando, Florida after I graduated because I got sick of shoveling snow, being from Syracuse, New York, the snowiest place in, in parts of North America, and, uh, and moved down there to Orlando uh, and didn't know anybody and except for the people that were bidding on the World Cup at the time for FIFA World Cup 94. And, and went down there on the whim in July of 92 and started volunteering with the local organizing committee there. And as they started uh, getting things involved, they wanted to start a sports commission. And because of my experience in Syracuse, they kind of had me, uh, asked me to help 
get things going and help build the operation plan and the scope of what that would be. And we created this uh, Orlando Area Sports Commission, now called Go Orlando Sports. But um, and that's kind of where I helped create my own job in the sports industry while still working on the World Cup, uh, FIFA World Cup 94. And while I was there at the sports commission, a lot of times for the events we had to do, we had to need a transport. And there's a new transport uh, management company called Game Day Management Group run by Tony Vetrano. And, and so Tony, uh, I utilized him for a lot of the events I did over the years. And then eventually Tony went up to Atlanta to work on the Atlanta games, doing transport. He was involved in FIFA World Cup in Orlando, obviously. And then uh, when he got back from Atlanta, uh, I had finished up my five-year term uh, with the sports commission as the events director. And he says, hey, I want to build my company in terms of event transport side, real niche dealing with the sporting side of things. And as we started building it, he brought in another uh, gentleman by the name of Mike Witte, uh, who got involved. And then both of them got brought in to Salt Lake City by Tom Halloran, the director of transport for Salt Lake Organizing Committee. And while they were there, they kind of brought me up there because the opportunity became uh, with the venue transport manager for Metals Plaza. So kind of in a surreptitious way through the decades, that's how I kind of ended up in, uh, in Salt Lake City. It's so interesting talking with you and other colleagues here at SLOC, how some people have this event thing in their blood and they knew from a very early young age, I want to do these events. And there are other people, and I would include myself in the latter, who just stumbled into it mid-career. Like <laughs> I had no, I had no idea. Um, and for, you know, for some people, it was just kind of a one stop. It's like, okay, I do this one event and then I go back into my real life routine. And for others like me, sometimes you, you get ensnared in the web of events and, uh, for better or worse, but usually it's for the better. Yeah. And it's been interesting listening to all of the uh, podcasts that you've done with our fellow coworkers over the, over the past month here. And it's been just interesting to see how people came into the, into the events world. And what I think is so impressive, Christian, I think you feel the same way is that, that all those people that you've interviewed and many, many others that we were part of this experience together have gone on and helped create a lot of the new dynamic of the sports management industry. And it's, it's such a great thing to feel that way about so many people who shared such a great experience together have gone out and really kind of populated the world with a new mindset of how to do things. And that all started in Salt Lake. Yeah, it's interesting. We talk about the legacy of events sometimes, and that was a real legacy of Salt Lake was this group of people who, you know, for some of them, it was their first event. For some of them, they started out in Atlanta, or like you said, World Cup, or, or there were some Sydney folks in there. And then you ended up with this big explosion of <laughs> people coming out of these events. Yeah. And you're right. They helped shape the thinking for a long time. Who knows? Maybe someday in the future, the games will come back here to Salt Lake and uh, all that new thinking can be applied and new innovations can be realized here in Salt Lake. Maybe it's 2030 or 2034. We'll see. Yeah, some of us slockers have already chatted about the potentiality of that. And we joked that it'd probably be the most unique organized community because there'd be a lot of people and walkers and uh, 
things of sort moving around the office because it's one last go at it. <laughs> yeah, we yeah a couple of people have said it's kind of a bring the band back together kind of a ah. uh, scenario, which would be a lot of fun. Oh, be and awesome. I think uh, with us old geezers infused with a lot of new talent, it could be a really really interesting event. But we're not here to sell the future games of Salt Lake. Uh, we're here to kind of reminisce on the past. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me about the timing. When is it that you came to the Salt Lake Organizing Committee to become the venue transport manager there at Metals Plaza? Yeah, it was such a funny moment when I got there because uh, the day before I arrived in Salt Lake, I worked on the Super Bowl transport operations in Tampa, Florida. So literally, I was dealing with all the uh, corporate sponsored transport for the NFL um, and through the local host committee. And it was the Sunday of the event. And then literally I finished up at about three in the morning on the Monday. And then my friends drove me to the airport at about 10 AM. And I was on the plane to Salt Lake city, got off the plane. I had gone up prior and uh, I knew I had the job because the funny thing is, this is the funniest thing. My interview with Tom Halloran about four months prior to that, cause I knew I had, I was getting a job was I go in there, I meet with Tom and he sits down, he goes, have a seat. And he goes, so, and he's looking at my CV, he goes, so, you know, uh, Tony Vetrano, Mike Whitty, huh? And I'm like, yeah, I do a lot of transport work with them down in Orlando and everything he goes, okay, you're hired. Thanks. We'll see you in a few months. <laughs> that was my interview. So, uh, so I ended up on the plane and I got off and it was 75 degrees, uh, for my friends listening, uh, it's 25 Celsius. Um, and we basically, uh, I got off the plane and it was probably about zero in Salt Lake. And it just so happens the next day, there was a big figure skating, uh, exhibition at the Delta center. And I had to go stand out in the curb. Now, mind you, I was in Tampa, Florida a day and a half before that in 75 degrees. And now I'm in zero degrees, freezing my butt off, loading people into a venue off of school buses. So it was, that was my introduction to uh, Salt Lake in the cold, uh, being a Florida guy for all those years. So that's kind of how we got up there and then uh, just kind of rolled into uh, our venue team. And obviously, uh, you know, it was uh, first dealing with the, the transport side of things and dealing with these people from all different backgrounds who necessarily didn't have a lot of uh, transport experience. And so you had math teachers, you had people from all walks of life uh, being involved. But, the, you know, a lot of times it's not about, it's about not what you know, it's about the attitude that you have. And that's kind of what was great about what Tony and Mike and Tom did is they hired people from a very diverse background uh, and they kind of helped mesh everybody into a, a functioning unit uh, that uh, made a difference. All right. I want to come back to the cold. So, yes, you come from Orlando. It's very warm. You come to Salt Lake. It's freezing. But you're you were in Syracuse. Yeah. The cold here isn't as bad as Syracuse. So it's kind of like, OK, after a couple of it's like riding a bike. OK, I, a couple of days, you know, I get back on it. I'm OK. Or did it take a little bit more time to acclimate? I, I would imagine you acclimated fairly quickly. Yeah, you did, because obviously Syracuse is lake effect snow and you just get dumped on, but it's a wet snow. And so when you got up to Salt Lake City, obviously you have the altitude and the drier snow. 
uh, the champagne powder as, as we all learned about skiing up there. Um, and so, yeah, it, the, the time it took to adapt to it took a, a little get used to, but yeah, being from Syracuse when they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to have a foot of snow and everything. I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah. We had school in a foot of snow in the Syracuse area and Camillus where I grew up. So it's uh, it wasn't a problem. So I acclimated pretty quickly up there. So no problem. Now, another question I want to ask, I actually want to go back a little bit because when you started out in this industry, you're kind of doing lots of different things, but then you ended up settling on transport. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it specifically about transport that drew you in and why did you decide to kind of settle on that niche as a, as a career? Uh, you know, it's, it's when I was with the sports commission, I did everything from venue management to marketing, to operations, to ticketing, to transport, to, to, the protocol. I mean, you had to do it for everything because going back in terms of understanding the, the dynamics of what I had to deal with is, you know, we co-authored my boss and I with a bunch of others uh, uh, on the Olympic uh, soccer matches for Atlanta games because Atlanta couldn't host all the preliminary matches. So once we started the sports commission in late 92, early 93, ACOG was the first Atlanta organizing committee committee for the Olympic Games came to us and said, hey, you're getting ready to host World Cup. Are you guys interested in being a, a remote site? So we had to put together a 285 page bid. And it's there that I really cut my teeth on the understanding the dynamics of an organizing committee and the needs and wants and, out and everything. And so so. By the time I got to Salt Lake, you know, I was well versed in a lot of different areas. So I could relate to a lot of the different departments that I was working with at the organizing committee. But obviously on the transport side, you know, as we always say in the events world, it all begins and ends with transportation. So, you know, Tony was a, a good teacher to me in terms of helping me understand that, you know, you've got to focus on these types of things. But it was easy for me to take the skills that I had. Uh, from the sports commission side and all my previous experience working at Disney and everything as well and bring that to the transport component because it's all about customer service and providing a level of service that meets all the different constituent groups you have, whether it's the athletes, it's the protocol, uh, the spectators and whatnot. So that kind of interests me. And so transport was just always a thing that, believe it or not, it, it kind of came easy to me. Um, and so, and obviously when you're working with a great group of people, like Tony and Mike Whitty and, and Tom Hallens of the world, you learn uh, a, a new dynamic of how to do things differently than they were in, in, the, in the past. All right. Here's a silly question for you. In SLOC, it was known as transportation, but internationally, it seems to be more commonly referred to as transport. Yes. Why? <laughs> I, I think the, the rest of the world doesn't like long words when they have to type them out. So they just put transport. I don't know. I mean, I never, never got a true answer to that. And I always ask that and I'd get a million different responses. So yeah, transportation in North America and transport in the rest of the world. So, you know, you just kind of roll with it. <laughs> I always found it funny, you know, because we called it transportation, but others called it transport. We called it accommodations, plural. Others call mm-hmm. it accommodation, Correct. singular. Yep. Yep. Here's my, here's my next question for you. I do a lot of work with the IOC. Mm-hmm. Everything's written in UK English. Yes, it is. I get all I get all mixed up now when I'm writing stuff here in America. I'm using wrong spellings. Am I the only person who has this problem, or do you also find yourself spelling organization with an S and labor <laughs> with a U, and you know all these kind of things where you, or 
or you start saying it's the rubbish bin instead of the trash can. Oh my gosh, yeah. Do you, do you get mixed up between the UK English and the American English? Well, fortunately, uh, as, as and we'll kind of get into things I've been to before, but having traveled around the world ever since I've been with the Salt Lake Olympic Committee, organizing committee is, uh, yeah, I especially program with two M's. That's another one with the E at the end. Um, so, you know, as as you do, obviously, I deal a lot with the IOC on on, on mostly the Winter Olympic side of things, uh, and yeah, you have to learn the the verbiage that is proper uh, phonetically and grammatically uh, uh, that you kind of pick up over the years. So yeah, I do find myself when I'm with an organizing committee and doing work with them. If I'm sending emails out to certain individuals, I will use color with a U. I will use program with an M and an E at the end. And I will use organization uh, with an S and not a Z. So you kind of become well-versed in the uh, changing of the emails. But then when it's a multicultural email, you just use the UK English because all you're going to hear from the from the, the Queen's English is is those guys busting on you. is just like, oh, here you go again. Americans truncating words and taking away the proper Queen's English. So it's just easier just to do it that way. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally with you. And it's organization with a Z. Z, that's right. I forgot with our friends from Canada. That's right, Z. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad to, someone else is feeling my pain here. I'm so, <laughs> okay. So go back to Salt Lake. Yeah. Any, any really funny stories or you think back and man, oh man, that was a, that was just hilarious. Yeah. We, oh gosh. And transport, you got a ton because one thing you learn working in transport is transport and logistics are really tied and tight together. And gosh, our log mat guys were the best, you know, just just a, a great group of people. I, I miss, I miss them dearly. And, uh, and still I'm friends with so many of them, but, uh, you know, at my desk, I, before I moved up there, I went to a pottery thing where you do, you paint your own pottery with some friends. And I made a slock snack jar from my desk out of pottery. So one thing I learned being in the business, as long as I have, is that the way the hearts and minds of people is having snacks, a lot of snacks around because, you know, in the events business, you never know when you're going to get a break for lunch. You don't know if you're going to have dinner. So I had everything from chocolates. I had, you know, cheese at crackers and I had all kinds of stuff in my drawer. I had a drawer of snacks and the snack jar on top. So it was, it was, it was amazing because the castic people that you would meet from the organizing committee, you know, would just come by and they would just say, you know, Hey, I heard you got some snacks here and Oh, which department are you with and everything. So I use the snack jar as a kind of way to meet people, but also as to be a good gesture to a good steward to our fellow coworkers. And, and because Jean Marie and Sarah had such a great team at Meadows Plaza, you know, ceremonies draws out the unique people there. We had one woman, uh, Sherry Paycheck, who I love dearly. And she had this red siren that she would have for Friday at five o'clock that she would turn on, which meant it was happy hour. And so, and next to the happy hour siren was a NSYNC doll because she loved Justin Timberlake. Uh, so, you know, kind of quirks like that, but one story that sticks out, and I don't know if you've heard of, of the event that was held by, you know, that people who plan Olympic games are the top level planners. Well, we had a thing called uh, run for the rings 
And I don't know if you heard of, of this Christian, but it was, uh, it was an event where it was, uh, I believe it was a hundred people, uh, 20 teams of five. And basically it was a, uh, an event that they had five houses in the avenues, which represented continents. And everybody on your team had to dress up. Their shirt was the color of the Olympic rings. And at each of the continents, there was beverages respective of those continents, along with other beverages as well. And you had credential, we had proper credentials and it was the event of a lifetime because I don't think the avenues still have recovered from hosting this <laughs> event of seeing uh, 20 groups of five people uh, holding a rope, going from house to house and enjoying the libations of, uh, of the world. Uh, it was absolutely just the funnest event. And even my friend from upstate New York came in that, that weekend. And he still to this day said, that is the most fun I have had ever. It was such a great event and so much fun. And, and talk about building camaraderie between coworkers. It was, it was still this day, uh, just a great memory of, uh, of uh, Salt Lake City. Well, I got to know who won. Uh, there was multiple teams. I, I won't say who won, but the, uh, the better team with the uh, better uh, drinkers on their team was uh, uh, it, it, const- it constituted a majority of them had uh, were from Australia. <laughs> so why so, am I not surprised? I know it was it was uh, like I said, it was epic in, in, in planning and nature and the people who, who did it are still dear friends and, and just the, be- the best time. It was the, it was a great time. So I'll kind of leave it at that in terms of uh, memory of uh, memorable moments. <laughs> All right. Well, I got to go back to it one more time. What was the most interesting beverage? Oh, gosh. Um, I think when we had the continent at Australia, uh, the continent Australia, they had a huge kiddie pool filled with cans of Foster's lager. And then we did a competition at Australia that I had learned on a cruise ship where you had to take a, uh, a saltine cracker, eat that, try to blow up a balloon, which is harder than you think it is, and then uh, drink a, a beer through a straw. Um, so that's the memorable stop, I think, for everybody on the tour. <laughs> well, any other interesting, funny, inspiring stories before we get to the end? Well, I, you know, it's, it, it was interesting in terms of uh, interesting people you worked with and, and things. I think, you know, if anything, 9-11... Uh, taught us was how to be adaptive, uh, you know, and one of the things I learned working with Tom Halloran and Tony Vetrano and Mike Witte is they they just taught me a ton about how to, how the industry and how to be in the industry. I, I remember, you know, we had a deficiency of SUVs that we needed for the meddling athlete transport system for Metals Plaza. Uh, and we needed some additional SUVs. And this was brought up to my attention by our, our, our ceremonies team. And I went to Tom and I said, Tom, this is what it is. And I laid everything out for him. And he said, gummit. And he slammed his fist on a table and he took me right down to Mitt's office. 
And he's like, we need these vehicles and we can't do this. We don't have this. Olympic meddling athletes can't get on here. Blah, 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 and all that stuff. And lo and behold, you know, a week later, I had some SUVs that were pulled from some of the venues. So I'm sorry, venue managers that may have had your SUVs that are listening here. Uh, it was remember, it's all about the athletes. <laughs> so, um, but it taught me things that, you know, Tom, if you, if you, if you have uh, the, your plan laid out and it was firm and solid, he'll go to bat for you, you know, and that's, that's something that really stuck on me and stuff. And then I remember Mike Whitty, when we started with our venue transport managers, you know, from all different walks of life, you know, the first meeting that he brought us together with is he had this great quote that I still use to this day with my venue teams all over the world as you know, I don't care where you do it, when you do it, how you do it, as long as it gets done. And, you know, because that showed that he had trust in us and in an environment nowadays where there's not a lot of trust, you know, you still got to have that in the events industry, because if you don't trust your coworkers, then you're not going to be successful. And, and, and then Tony really taught me how to be calm in the storm because you know i mean after 9 11 the u.s secret service came in on the security side trans just changed the whole dynamic of how we plan transport operations uh and tony was that kind of calm demeanor and these things and you know we'd get frustrated as vtms but he'd like guys here's how we got to deal with this you know this is not the problem this is let's come up with a solution on this so he really you know, those types of people really kind of taught me kind of the way forward in terms of how I plan and manage my, my teams all over the world um, nowadays. So it's uh, there's a lot to be said on that. And then the one the one experience and in, 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 sorry to dive into more experience, but one thing that kind of taught me a unique thing in terms of how things were going to be different in the events world after 9-11 is that we had our trailer compound in the back of of uh, Metals Plaza stage uh, on the Temple parking lot area, right by Dee's Diner. I don't know if Dee's Diner is still there or not. But um, and and so all of a sudden, my assistant and I we look out our, our trailer window, and all of a sudden, I see our security director Dan from uh, Salt Lake Olympic Police, who at the time was in the the drug detail. So Dan had this big handlebar mustache, long hair, dressed in. Uh, tennis shoes and and blue jeans all the time and and he's out there in the street with a bunch of prisoners you know in their orange uniforms and i go out there i'm like hey dan what's going on he's like well he goes we got to do some work out here and i'm like what are you doing and he goes well we got dump trucks full of sand coming here and these prisoners are going to fill the sandbags up and we're going to build outside your trailer a bomb blast wall <laughs> I'm like what like he's like, yeah, that way, if a truck's coming down the street here and everything, he goes, because the trailer next to you, yours is a secret service and FBI and local police trailer. And he goes, you know, you, the bomb will, the blast will deflect off of the sandbags. It may take your trailer out, but at least the, the security side will be safe. So he goes, hope your dental records are in, in order. <laughs> so that was a huge learning lesson for me. It just like, wow, we're in a very different dynamic of, of planning events and the way that we have to look at transport and security. So, um, yeah, so that was an interesting, uh, footnote on, uh, on everything that ha was going on at that time. Wow. I have to say, it's always comforting when you find out just how expendable you are. <laughs> exactly. Especially at the time I'm sitting there like, gosh, I don't even know where the hell to find my dental records. <laughs> 
Yeah. You, you, the way you'll show you're a, a, a true patriot to your country is if you just deflect a bomb blast with your body. Hey, it's the sacrifices we make on behalf of the, uh, the Olympic Games. Yep. We'll, we'll put a brick out there in Gateway with your name on it. Hey, my name's actually on the wall. So that's one of my proud moments. And, and the irony of all ironies, if I can bring this up, is that when I go on the wall, um, you know, it's Derek Salisbury is that right uh, below me is a volunteer, I believe. His name is Paul Salisbury. And the irony of it is when I went to the 84 Olympics, my uncle Paul is Paul Salisbury. <laughs> That's so cool. Let's wrap this thing up here, Derek. Yeah. I, I gave you the three assignments. The first one was a song. Is there a song that you used to play all the time in your car or you heard it there in concerts and medals plaza, whenever it was, you hear it today and it takes you right back to Salt Lake 2002? Yeah, gosh, we were so fortunate. We had, I had the great venue with all the music artists from Dave Matthews and Foo Fighters and Cheryl Crow and NSYNC and Brooks and Dunn. I mean, the list goes on and on. And Gail Say and her team did a great job putting all those groups together for us. But you know, obviously the first one that comes to my mind, because I heard it every night, was Carry the Flame by Aretha Franklin. But obviously on Spotify, it's it's not on there. Um, it's on YouTube, so you can track it there. But two two songs come to my mind that really stick out for me is the Foo Fighters, hands down. I mean, everybody, all my friends say Bare Naked Ladies and Dave Matthews Band, but Foo Fighters truly lived the Olympic experience uh, when they came to town. Uh, and the one song that they played at Metals Plaza was Breakout. And Dave Grohl got so excited that he just went in the crowd with his guitar and just started playing in the middle of the crowd on the sound stand. And, and people just fed off of that energy and everything. And on top of that, he was just so jacked to be there because that night, the USA swept men's snowboard half pipe. So they got to perform for the snowboarders. And, there, and then all the Foo Fighters were snowboarders. And so I remember when he came off stage, he was going out to the van we had set up and he's like, that was just unbelievable. We played for the Olympic athletes and it, he was just so stoked. So breakout was the one song that sticks out for me uh, in terms of that. And then the other song that is kind of the bookend of it all was I took my entire staff, thanks to Jean Marie and, and the team for hooking us up with tickets to closing ceremonies. And, you know, it was, it was just a great celebration. And, and for me, it was a, it was a cumulative moment just because, you know, 17 years before that, I said to my friend, I want to work on the Olympic games. And now here I am as a member of the Salt Lake organizing committee with my staff at closing ceremonies. And then the cap it off is I've been a huge fan since I was a kid of kiss and kiss comes out and sings rock and roll all night. And from their live album, and, you know, at the end, Paul Stanley is waving his guitar with the American flag on it. I mean, come on. How can you not, as an American, just appreciate that? <laughs> so those two songs are ones that are kind of capstones for me in terms of when I hear them. It just takes me literally right back to Salt Lake. Well, those are awesome. I love Foo Fighters, and I'm so happy that you nominated them and Kiss as well. We'll put both of those on the Spotify playlist. And what I'll do is I'll put a link uh, to the YouTube video for, for Carry the Flame. So we'll, we'll get all of those on there. So that's awesome. 
Oh, now great. let's go to the food. Yeah. Uh, any particular restaurants? You mentioned D's there right across the street. I think it's still there. I don't know. I got to double check. But yeah, so you I mentioned know. D's. But what was the, what's the restaurant that you had in mind? The restaurant still to this day, hands down, the best Mexican food on the face of the planet is Alberto's on 300 West and 500 South. Their carne asada burrito off the charts, to quote Guy Fieri. I mean, it is... I could eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And sometimes I did. Uh, It uh, it is a quintessential hole-in-the-wall Mexican uh, restaurant, but uh, it, to me, just encapsulates uh, the dining experience I had there. Because, you know, and then in terms of the high end, I think everybody could agree sushi-wise was Ichiban Sushi. And that was made in that church on uh, South 400 East or somewhere around there. that food with the chopsticks on the wall, you, you could leave your chopsticks on the wall. Those two restaurants um, still to this day uh, are ones that are my faves. Well, I'm glad you nominated Alberto's. My sister-in-law actually happens to love that place too, right mm-hmm. as you get on the freeway there on <laughs> Fifth yep. South. Yes, I love it. Okay, we'll add those to our map on the website. Great. And now the last question for you, it sounds to me like you had a lot of awesome memories, but is there one in particular that just gives you the feels? And every time you, you think about it, it's like, oh, that encapsulates the Olympic Games for me. You know, it's, there's just so many. I mean, you know, because, you know, since, since Salt Lake, I've traveled around the world and worked on uh, 11 Olympic Games now both with the U.S. Olympic Committee, the IOC, or the local organizing committees. And, and I've seen a lot of and experienced a lot. But one that kind of uh, it still sticks out to this day and, 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 and as it relates to Salt Lake Games is, you know, as, as Salt Lake uh, SLOC staff, we were able to purchase Olympic torches, um, that some that were used during the relay and some that were not. And so I picked up uh, two torches, one that I use still to this day in my speaking engagements to sports management students around the, around the country and around the world. But the second one that I had, the, which was a new one, is I took it and I sent it to my parents' house. Uh, and at that time, they were living in Florida uh, in their, their um, holiday home. And I sent the torch along with the stand to them that got to him on opening ceremonies day. And I get choked up talking about it because my parents are always there supporting me through me wanting to get into the sports industry. And so there's nothing more fitting than me living the Olympic dream that I had when I was a kid to come and then uh, be able to send the torch to my parents and have them experience that. And so they watched opening ceremonies. That torch was there that they would see the U.S. hockey team light with the cauldron. So, you know, I mean, for me, that's that's my memory of it. It's my favorite memory of any event I've worked on, being able to do that for them because they did so much for me. So that's my my Olympic memory. Sorry to cry, but you can see that that's what the Olympics does for you. That's the experience you have. It's bigger than your own life sometimes. And you have to experience it to understand it. 
That's an absolutely beautiful memory, Derek. And I appreciate you sharing that. It's so wonderful to work on something that actually does bring people very close together and not just uh, strangers, but also family members. And what a wonderful recognition of your parents, you know, saying they're proud of what you've done. And uh, at the same time, for you to be able to give them a, a gift that really is a representative of your life and what matters most to you. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, it's 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 great. And like I said, it's 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 something that all of us uh, have experienced one moment in our time at the Olympics where you kind of reflect back to the people who helped you get there. And it's never lost on me in terms of the people that have come before uh, who have laid the groundwork for me to be successful the way I am in this uh, sports world today. So I'm only as good as some of the parts, as they always say. So, uh, but uh, yeah, like I said, that's, it's, I, I, and I can't thank you enough for doing something like this because there's one thing that I think is lacking in the world today is a lot of understanding in terms of how you do these big events and how you get through it and having a podcast like this where people can relive those experiences and share with the next generation about what it is. Because a thing that I loved about Salt Lake is you had so many passionate people in one place that I've never experienced that in any other games. It's not to say that they don't have the same passion. They do. But Salt Lake was just that one moment in time, you know, where everything just kind of clicked and the people that uh, were part of it are influencing the sports world still to this day. And that's what I love about it. That's uh, well said, well said. And I feel the same way. And in many respects, Salt Lake was a bit of a lightning in a bottle moment uh, for the games where it all just did come together and it really just clicked. Well, this has been a huge amount of fun for me. And I really appreciate you very openly and sincerely sharing your experiences with us today, Derek. Now, if people want to learn more about what you do at TPT Hub, the projects that you're working on, how's the best way that they can connect with you? Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn, so um, not much on other aspects of social media except LinkedIn. And also uh, at ds at tpthub.com. That's the best way you can reach me by email. And uh, yeah, drop a line. I'd love to reconnect with so many people. And, and to help you out, Christian, is I'll be more than happy once uh, this gets posted, to post it on LinkedIn so I can share uh, not only my story, but then people can log in and learn more about uh, the great things that you're doing to help promote uh, uh, all of us people who made a difference. Well, I'm just having fun. You know, for me, it was just an opportunity <laughs> to to relive some memories. But also, I mean, I'm sitting around here in my home office, uh, mm -hmm. sheltering in place, as they say here in the States. Yeah. And I've wanted to do this for a while, and it just seemed like the time was right. So Thank you for being willing to contribute and share your story. And I hope that it does find a wide audience and that people find some benefit out of it. For me, it's just a passion project, but I really have enjoyed connecting with you and so many others. For listeners, please uh, like and subscribe to our podcast. And Derek, once again, thank you so much. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Hi to all my fellow slockers. Miss you guys.